This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome along to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, live for you today across both YouTube and Facebook. I'm your host Matt Addison with Ian Doyle, Joe Rimmer and Theo Squires alongside me to talk Brentford, Arsenal and possibly a little bit of Rafa Benitez too. As I mentioned, we are recording this live, so if you've got any questions, do stick them in the comments section and we'll try to get to the best of those a little bit later on in the show. But we'll start though, Doyle at Anfield, where Liverpool beat Brentford by three goals to nil on Sunday. It wasn't exactly the most eventful of matches, but Liverpool had to win. They did win. They scored three goals. They proved a few points about being able to create chances. It was largely, overall, a positive experience. They, they scored three goals, someone at the post, somebody went up injured, the, the assistant referee forgot to, that the game was actually happening and didn't turn up on time. There's quite a lot happening, quite a lot happening. Um, I think it, well, it was better than against Arsenal, wasn't it? Um, Liverpool a bit more like it. I mean, it must be, must, you know, a bit of context and the fact that Brentford, I think it's now seven games away from home in the Premier League that they haven't won. Um, you can see at least two goals in all of those games now, so you can kind of see that they kind of got you know, they, they were riding the wave, weren't they, when Liverpool went there back in September, you know, held to a 3 all draw since then. Brentford have had one or two good results, but they've kind of plateaued and gone to, you know, the kind of level you might expect. But that's not none of Liverpool's business. They were up against a five-man defence for the second time in, you know, about three, three days, probably less than three days. And uh, I thought Liverpool played, played quite well, actually, once they got the first goal, which, you know, anybody who, who watches, watches Liverpool will probably think, how on earth have they scored off a corner? But actually scored from more set pieces than any other team in the Premier League this season. It's just that, you know, that's probably the law of averages, to be honest. They just have so many of them. I think they had about nine uh, against Brentford. You know, Trent whips it in. Fabinho's there, the new uh, the new Salah, now that uh, Salah and Mane out there. He's three goals in three games for him. So, you know, I think when we were looking at who was going to step up and score the goals, nobody expected it to be him. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain gets a goal and, you know, Brentford can pay the price for fiddling around at the back. You could see what they were trying to do. Liverpool. In fact, I'm surprised actually when Liverpool scored the last goal through Minamino, the club hasn't said that that was his favourite goal of the season because Liverpool almost scored a goal against Brighton. Well, it was just loud, wasn't it? Because it hit Manny on the hand, and he said that would have been my favourite goal of the season because they pressured the goalkeeper into making a mistake. That's exactly what happened there. But you know, three 0 It's it's weird actually, isn't it? Because you know, at Anfield there wasn't really much of an atmosphere there really at the start. There was no sense of occasion I mean, for Brentford it was a massive massive game for their fans as the you know as Theo pointed out it was their first game away from home against one of the big teams this season it's the first time they've been at Liverpool since 1989 in the FA Cup I'm not saying I'm old but I was at that game um and so for them it was a massive deal and for Brentford's players as well but for Liverpool it was just a matter of getting it done and how long how long's it been since Liverpool had a nice routine 3-0 home win it was something that they needed after what happened on Thursday and the fact that the previous three league games, they'd only taken two points, admittedly at Tottenham and uh, and Chelsea, not the easiest place to go, but they'd lost at, at Leicester. They needed to get a win under the belts and what, they're now only 15,000 points behind Man City. <laughs> yes, they are indeed. Jurgen Klopp at full time, Joe, was very enthusiastic in front of the cop, the, the fist bumps, the, the kind of celebrations. He seemed quite excited about it. It was actually Liverpool's first league win in a month, so you can kind of understand why that was. I mean, it, it was an important one to, to go and be convincing. And that's, in the end, what Liverpool were. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think there was a bit of pent-up frustration after the, um, after the you know, the, the draw against Arsenal and, uh, and perhaps the criticism levelled at Liverpool for um, struggling to create chances um, with, with the likes of Sadio uh, Mane and Mohamed Salah away. Um, and I think Klopp takes these things quite personally, doesn't he? So he should. And, um, you know, he backs his players and he backs the likes of Minamino and the, you know, and the likes of Jota and Firmino to do a job when they're out. So, I think there was a bit of that in there. Um, but yeah, as you say, it was it was a weird game, wasn't it? Because it felt like a, a very uneventful three 0 win. But you know, you you don't complain about them. But to me, I've got to be honest; it doesn't sort of dispel the worries that I have about Liverpool at the moment. They just seem a little bit, a little bit stale, a little bit lacking, a little bit slow. Um, and obviously, you know, last year Doyle's was making us think that every corner they weren't going to score. They eventually did score from a corner, and and when they did, it opened up a little bit. And 
I suppose that's the that's the difficulty Liverpool are going to have in the next few weeks. They're going to come up against sides who are going to make it tough for them, and they're going to need to take their chances and, and perhaps score some some ugly goals. And once they do so, things seem to open up for them, and they, and they you know, they beat teams more comfortably. You know, I, I I was chatting about Arsenal to a friend, and we were talking about if you remember the four nil, um, you know, Liverpool scored late on, didn't they, in the first half of that game? And um, I actually thought Arsenal. For the first half of the 4 0, defended really, really well, made it really difficult for Liverpool, played a very defensive um, setup. Um, and Liverpool really looked like they were struggling, lacking ideas. You know, they, they were they had a lot of pressure, but not any real big chances. But then eventually, when they did score, Arsenal completely fell apart because they had to come out a little bit. Um, and I think Arsenal managed to hold on, didn't they? And Liverpool didn't give that scrappy first goal in, in midweek. But they did do against Brentford, so um, I think it will be a different game on Thursday. And I'm getting ahead of myself here, but but yeah, I think Liverpool are going to come up against some very defensive teams, and they're going to have to find ways of scoring some pretty ugly goals to get themselves moving. Yeah, the, the creativity, Theo, that was the, the big question after Thursday. Only three days later, could Liverpool be a bit more ambitious, a bit more creative on the ball? How much do you think they answered that question? Are you more convinced than Joe than possibly next Thursday against Arsenal? It'll be a different story or is there still a bit of a worry, obviously, with Keita, Salah and Mane still away at AFCON? And don't forget, Oxley Chamberlain could be out through injury as well. Like he was the solution. He, he did have a really good game on the right hand side. He was certainly more comfortable there than we'd seen Jota against Arsenal. But then he's rolled his ankle. We don't know how serious that could be yet. And it could be give us with one hand taken away with another. Um, Liverpool, they're always going to have these struggles when you take off your your best player when he's Mohamed Salah's. What most assists he was before this weekend? Most assists in the Premier League, not just the leading goal scorer there was obviously going to be that drop-off in creativity. And it just seems the whole side and the fan base at the moment, they're going through this bit of a lull, um, partly maybe just because they're not really in the title race now. Like you think even this time last year, they're only just starting to drop out of it because of all the injuries. And before that, they've been in the title race year after year, going toe-to-toe with Man City or being street at themselves. Whereas this year, as soon as New Year came about, we've already resigned to the fact that Premier League is probably going to be beyond Liverpool. We're going to have to focus on the Champions League and the domestic cups. And that's not because of creativity or lack of creativity. It's just that everything hit them at once with COVID cases, the AFCON, players being lost to injury. And it just so happens that City are the only side that could suitably uh, combat that and do well. But then Jurgen Klopp, he found answers in his squad. He, he set this challenge to Curtis Jones, didn't he, in the pre-match? Uh, was it in his programme notes or somewhere? He said he needs to come out and show his potential more, live up to it more. And he had a good game in the centre of the park, sh- showing some creativity there. showing why he's a bit different to a James Milner or Jordan Henderson, his willingness to get forward and be that almost, I, I don't suppose, he's not a number 10, he's not a wide winger, he's not like this number eight either. He's just a mixture of all three in one role, like Harvey Elliott was doing at the start of the season, really, on the other flank. And then Oxley chamberlain he was this more natural wide man on the right-hand side. And you think, well, this could get you by for two, three weeks, depending on how long the, the trio are at the AFCON for. But at the same time now, well, if Oxley chamberlains injured, what do you do? Is Minamino back in that front three and then Jota's going to have to be shoehorned to the right again? Or do you put Curtis Jones on the left and then you're taking that creativity out of the midfield? Uh, it's because of lack of options and the fact that the players have had to play when they're maybe not 100% after testing positive for COVID or when they've not been able to train because they thought they'd had COVID. It all just happened at once. There's still a talented squad there underneath, but they have just been going through this lull in recent weeks. And it's not too much as of a surprise when you look in the context of the title race. Uh, it's one where I suppose Champions League comes back in a couple of weeks. Uh, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane come back in a couple of weeks. Then you get the buzz back. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, Doily, Theo mentions there, obviously Curtis Jones was kind of challenged, if you like, by Jurgen Klopp in the build-up to the game. I mean, I was slightly surprised, to be honest, that he, he did that. Curtis has had a lot of injuries this season. He's then had COVID once he got over that freak eye injury. I mean, what did you make of, of those comments and what did you make of his performance over the weekend? Uh, well, Klopp, Klopp's comments, I didn't see anything wrong with them. He more or less said he thinks he's really good, uh, but he thinks he can get, be a lot better and he has to kind of just focus on what he's doing. And I think it was the game against Shrewsbury, wasn't it, where Klopp had a bit of a go at him uh, on the touchline during the game. I'm not sure what it was about, but you know, he pointedly was having a few words with, with, with Curtis 
as the game was going on, to be honest. So I'm not surprised he was saying something afterwards or, or in, in, you know, in between that game and this one. But I mean, he, he did quite well when he came in on the left uh, substitute against Arsenal. So it was a bit of a surprise. We were trying to guess before the game what way Liverpool were going to line up. But, you know, he's there in midfield. I know, Matt, you like him on the left of the front three, but I thought he played really well. Uh, against Brentford, I thought he's... It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because the one thing that I suspect Klopp was having a go at him for against Shrewsbury was holding on to the ball for a bit too long. It was precisely the one thing that he actually... That's exactly what Liverpool needed when he came on against Arsenal, came on against Brentford. It was giving people... You know, they, they were kind of rushing things a little bit against Arsenal, I felt, so in the second half. But with with Curtis there in midfield against Brentford, they, you know, he, he, he's, he likes the dribble. He, likes, he offers something different. He can do something that the other midfielders can't do in that respect. You know, he, he likes a good pass. He moves the ball quickly when it needs to be. Or when he should be, and I think that possibly was one of the things that Klopp perhaps was talking to him about, you know, to make it a, not so much less about him because I don't think he's a selfish player, but it's more don't forget there's other players around. And I think that he kind of he got the message because of his performance against Brentford. I, as I say, it was only Fabinho that was better than him. And the interesting thing is that Fabinho and Jones are two of the three midfielders. The midfield has been the place in the last couple of games that Liverpool have, have struggled so for two of the midfielders to step up. I know Fabinho, as, as Theo kind of hinted at, he, he struggled a little bit after COVID, but he's, he's been better the last couple of games. For Jones, it's easy to forget that when he got that eye injury, he was in the team. He played against Man City. You know, he had a good game against City. Didn't have a great game against Brighton. But, you know, that's what happens when you're 20 years old. And he's still, I think he's, he's only 21 at the end of this month, I think I'm right in saying. So, you know, he's, he's played about 55, nearly 60 games for Liverpool at that age, which... It's quite a lot. I mean, Klopp obviously really likes him. I wouldn't have read anything negative into the suggestion that he's had talks with him because he should be having talks with him. You know, he's, he's somebody he sees as part of Liverpool's future. Somebody the player should think consider himself as being part of the future. And we don't look at him as somebody who's not a member of the first team squad. You know, he's been there for about two years now, hasn't he? he he's a viable option and has been. And Nobody was raising any eyebrows at the fact that Curtis Jones was starting against Brentford. And if he starts against Arsenal, I don't think anybody will be too perturbed there either. So I do think he's he's an important player because, as I said before, he can offer a slight creative edge, which perhaps some of the other midfielders can't. But I said that, as I said before, Fabinho suddenly turned into this great goal scorer. Yeah, I thought Fabinho was was excellent, to be honest, Joe. I think he's a really obviously important player for, for the way that Liverpool play. There's probably a good argument that he's the most important player, given that no one else can do that job quite as he can. I mean, it, it was another really impressive performance from him on Sunday. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've praised Fabinho so many times in the last few years, but what I kind of like about him recently is I feel like he's, he's, he's showing a little bit more personality on the pitch. You know, he's leading a bit more. He seems a little bit more... Not to say he wasn't in the past, but he seems a bit more vocal, a bit more aggressive. Um, and, you know, at a time when Liverpool have lost quite big players, um, you know, I think they need him to be that. And I feel like, you know, he's now, what, into his fourth year at Liverpool. You know, he, he really feels like a focal point of the team. You know, he's always been a very, very important player, but now feels like an important personality as well. So, yeah, I thought it was really, really impressive. And, you know, Liverpool need people to pop up with goals. You know, I think, you know, I think Van Dijk could pop up with a few more goals. And obviously, he nearly scored um, yesterday with the one uh, the goalkeeper with a good save from. And Fabinho is another one of those players who, who heads the ball pretty well. So you want him involved in corners. Matip as well. You know, you want these guys to chip in with goals and give Liverpool extra weapons. So that it's really good that he's done that. Um, and you know, Liverpool will need these players like him, like Van Dijk, like Matip like Jones we've just talked about, um, to, to chip in whilst their main goal scorers are away. So that bodes well. Um, and just on Jones, you know, I agree with Dorian, everything Dorian's just said there. I think he's I think he's an exceptional young footballer. There was some, you know, talk in the summer that Liverpool might let him go. I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, and I think there's, you know, I think we, nowadays we want young players to be instantly good. And I think even the ones that, that seem like that they were, instantly good weren't you know young players go through inconsistent spells you know you think back to Gerard, and you know I, I'm not comparing the two in terms of ability but if you look at Gerard, it wasn't till probably he was 23 or 22 23 that he really clicked into being the player he, he really was and became you know before that it was you know he had some really good games some some not so good games 
you know, lacked a bit of discipline at times. So I think we need to be patient with the likes of Jones. He plays in a very difficult position in, at Liverpool. And, um, you know, he's shown that he's capable of some special, special moments. And, and like Doyle said before, his, his freak injury was was playing in, was playing quite well for Liverpool. And I hope he can get his way back into the side. And I think when he can, he offers something completely different in midfield. So, you know, um, it's the similar story with him, isn't it? With Naby Keita, with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. They're the three players that you look at in midfield. Perhaps Harvey Elliott will come into this equation as well. That, you know, when you're looking for Liverpool to, to have a bit of an extra dimension, you put those players in there and um, and it's good. But all of them sort of, with the exception of Elliot because of his injury, but all of them sort of struggled at times for consistency or, or struggled to say there. Maybe that says a lot about Liverpool's midfield. Maybe it says something about them as players. But Jones is a, is a, I think he's a really, really bright young player. And I hope Liverpool are patient with him. And I think Klopp will be. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly a big future ahead of him. Probably a, a big future as well, Theo, ahead of Cade Gordon, who made his Premier League debut. What did you make of, of him? I thought he had quite a few good touches when he came on. Should have scored, let's be honest. One and yeah. one, um, considering that one of his big strengths is supposedly his coolness in the box and his finishing ability. And I think when he went on to that three ball, everyone was expecting to see the ball hit the back of the net. But and it's not reason to be negative on him. It just gives him that hunger, something to prove next time. Like he missed a chance like that in pre-season, where he put it wide, and it just means it's a reminder that he is still a very raw young talent who's got a lot to prove and a lot to learn. But it's like that first step for him, isn't it? It's like a reward. He's like, what a week for him, by the way, making his first Anfield start, scoring the goal, and then making his Premier League debut as well. I think we put it in um, in the live blog a couple of times be good if this um, game could actually go that way so Liverpool could send him on to give him that Premier League debut because he is a highly rated youngster he's exciting and you want to see him get chances and be able to progress like when Liverpool weren't playing well against Arsenal the fact that there was even a suggestion that he might be a solution here just because it's his natural position shows how excited people are getting about him but it is that reminder with that miss there that he's still this raw talent and he will take time like the same as Harvey Elliott took time before him needed that loan at Blackburn to really push on again and he was unfortunately sidelined a bit by injury this year and even likes of Jones, Alexander-Arnold they all took the time to find their feet and Kate Gordon he's what 16, 17 he's got a good few years yet before he has to be properly consistently knocking on that Liverpool first team door so he just needs to carry on doing what he's doing he was involved in the front three and it's not as though he's been put in a front three when he came on it's alongside the starters alongside Salamane or Firmino it was very, I think it was Curtis Jones, Minimino and him in the end. So it's a front three that you don't really want to want to see Liverpool have to turn to anytime soon or very regularly, only when games are really going well and they can give these minutes out. But yeah, he was confident in the ball. He was getting involved. He was linking up. It was a good run from him to get him behind the defence in the first place. Uh, but next time he gets a chance like that, he should score and get his first Premier League goal. I thought when Theo started that, I thought he was going to destroy Kate Gordon. I thought <laughs> he was going to be the next that? one and he's like, he like <laughs> you just see him lining him up and then he just, oh, he just teased us. He teased us. <laughs> <laughs> he thought about it. He thought about it. <laughs> anyway, well, I think that'll do us then on Brentford. I think we've spoken can enough I, can I just, about that. Can, there? I, just one, on, can yeah. I just make one point yeah. about midfielders? And I think I, I've just actually thought this in my head now. I do actually sometimes have original thoughts. Um, don't just take them all off Twitter, honest. Um no, it's about Liverpool's midfield, as you mentioned then, about when Joe was talking about you know uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain and who was it you mentioned? Uh, Elliot, obviously an injury, Jones, uh, Cater. Don't they all have moments of inconsistency? And compare that to Fabinho, who's normally consistent. Look at Man City. Man City, you've got Rodri and Fernandinho are always, they're always consistent. But you look at a lot of their other players, like Silva now doing excellent this season. Didn't do anything for about 18 months, did he? He came and was very good. Then he went off the boil. And there's a number of their midfielders. De Bruyne, we all know how good he is, but he had a very decent size spell where he wasn't particularly at the top of his level. It happens to all midfielders, that kind of midfielder, just the way that that's just the way that they are, I think. And I think sometimes we have to remember that there are other clubs out there than just Liverpool. I know we're obviously concentrating on them. But you look at every single other team. Look at, say, United. They've got quite a lot of midfielders. When was the last time you saw Wan Mata play? Never plays anymore, does he? You know, so, you know, there is there is that. I know he's a, he's a bit older, but the point still stands that he was never a regular anyway when he, was, when he was of a certain age. Does that 
kind of midfield and will never, ever, ever be the most consistent footballer purely because of what they bring to a team. They're always going to be. I, remember, I read something, I remember when they signed Kate and they looked at his numbers. They were like, well, he gives the ball away an awful lot of times compared to other ones. He says, but the passes that get through are very, very good ones because he's always attempting these very difficult passes, which is why it looks like his pass completion rate is so low. I think we've spoken about that in the past, but that's where... You know, sometimes figures like that can can hide what the actual reality is. And I think sometimes we have to just take a step back and go, well, these the reason there are so many of these kind of midfielders at a club like Liverpool, at a club like City, at a club like any of the leading clubs, is because they won't always be that kind of consistent presence. And the ones that actually are are normally like amongst the best players in the world. And there's a reason why they are the best in the world. See, I, I agree with that, but I think... And I think Liverpool, to add to that, I think Liverpool's midfield demands a little bit more of certainly of those type of players, you know, because of the way the fullbacks push on, um, you know, they, they have to do, get through a lot more work. I suppose it's not just consistency of form, but certainly for people like Cater and Oxide Chamberlain, it's consistency of fitness, isn't it? And, and someone like Cater. That's not always their fault. No, no, it's, it's not. It's not. And, and we're not, a, you know, it's not their fault. But then at the same time, it's a problem Liverpool have to manage, don't they? And Cater. Is, is is a good example of a player. I don't think, I don't think he often plays badly when he plays, but he doesn't play enough. And and I think for fifty two million, you don't go out and buy a player to play once every five games. You, you you're looking for him to play more often, and you're looking to, for him to be a more consistent option. And and I think the thing about Man City is, yeah, they have those players, but I don't think. And I might be proven wrong, but I don't think they're as injured. Well, maybe De Bruyne is the exception, but I don't think they're as injured as often as some of Liverpool's players. And they, they have the option of, of rotating them, of putting them in, of taking them out. And I think with people like Kayser and Oxide Chamberlain, they haven't stayed fit long enough to be a consistent, good option for Liverpool. And when they've needed them, they haven't always been there. So, you know, Jones has had his injury problems and is young. And I, I, to be fair, I was defending him before. I think you've got to expect inconsistency from him as a young player and in the, the position he's in because of how difficult it is at Liverpool. This is something Liverpool will address this summer. They've got to. Uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Cater are out of contract in 2023. Milner's out of contract in 2022. Thiago's not getting any younger. You think, well, Elliot and Jones, they can fill these gaps here. If you've got hardly enough hopes for Tyler Morton, he can fill a gap there. But there is that natural plan and what do you do here? Like Jordan Henderson, he's got his new lengthy contract, so he's going to maybe move more into the, the James Milner role and be a bit more bit part as he gets older, not straight away, but they're going to protect him a bit more. And Fabinho, it's good to see him taking this leadership role because he's the one with the long-term contract who is going to be the linchpin of this midfield for the next five years. But when you've got the players out of contract there, Liverpool need new bodies in that midfield going forward. And they've got some big decisions to make. Like when you think James Milner's on a pretty healthy contract for him, it's whether he can still do it at this level for Liverpool. The debate is there. When he's had to play, he's beginning to pick up the injuries a bit more and he's fine in a reserve role. But could he be better if you're giving that wage to another player? And then the questions of Oxley chamberlain Cater that we've had for years now. Are they fit enough? Are they consistent enough to justify their wages and to be squad players? Or do Liverpool just have to cut ways with them? Do they try and get in as much money as they can in the summer? Or do they just let them see out their contracts and it's another two players that go away on free transfers and you think how much they've spent on players and then got nothing back for them transfer a fee-wise in recent years. But when they've got these vacancies that are going to come up, they have to get it right in terms of replacements and find these players who haven't got injuries, who can do the jobs they require them to. And it is going to look very different. But then we can argue that when Liverpool signed Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita, they didn't really have these injury records themselves. It's just something that's been unfortunate and recurring for them at Liverpool. So you just got to hope that uh, Julian Ward and the scouting team can get it right for this next generation of Liverpool's midfield. Yeah, I think Jordan Henderson's come in for a little bit of criticism recently, but the biggest issue for me is just that he's played too much football and just looks a little bit tired and it all ties in with that, doesn't it? The unavailable other players have, have made that the case. But we will now move on uh, a few minutes later than planned to speak about Arsenal. We seem to have previewed a game against Arsenal every single podcast for the past however many weeks, given the postponement than the actual game last week and now the one this week as well. Doidi, I'll come to you first on this one. I mean... It's interesting, isn't it, that after many Arsenal fans spent the entirety of last week complaining that Liverpool had managed to get a game called off because of COVID, they themselves had one called off against Tottenham this weekend. 
Yeah, it was interesting as well with the explanation that the Premier League put out. Bear, bear in mind that Liverpool's was called off by the EFL, not the Premier League, so it's a completely different authority. But the Premier League called it off partly due to the amount of Arsenal players who are on AFCON duty. So, hmm, interesting there. Uh, Tottenham weren't too happy, were they? Quite enjoyed their statement on their website. They were <laughs> sticking the boot a little bit. You know, and I'm not normally one to like praise Tottenham for anything, but I thought that was quite good. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, do we blame Arsenal? I don't blame them for doing it at all. The rules have completely and utterly just ruined everything. I mean, saw somebody tweeted me before, again, I'm nicking something off Twitter. Uh, at least I'm giving them credit, although I can't remember who it was that said it, but said that if these postponement rules were in place last season, Liverpool would still be playing their games now because they, because they would just have, you know, got no defenders. All oh, right, we can't play any games then. So, yeah, I do think the Premier League have, have kind of made a rob for their own back. I don't think Burnley are ever going to play a game ever again. You know, you, you have to play games. You're going to, you, they're going to get relegated at the way things are going. You know, you can't just pretend as though it's not happening. You know what I mean? So, yeah, Arsenal. No, I'm not. It was just, it's just the typical tribalism of football fans, isn't it? It's like it was a massive conspiracy when it was against Arsenal. Now it's for Arsenal. Arsenal fans are like, well, what did you expect? You know, it's like, oh, well, it's totally, it's, you know, but, you know, we can explain it. It's, you know, so I wasn't really too fussed. I mean, the, the only, um, I suppose the only, the other thing is that it meant that on match of the day that highlights of Liverpool's game were a bit longer than perhaps they would have been because Arsenal beat Tottenham was done. Interesting point. Also, Interesting. by the way, on the match on the highlights of match, of the day, I don't I don't watch match of the day that often, but I saw it and it was like they made it look like Brentford, like really in the game, and it was they didn't even show the incident that Theo was about to ruin Kay Gordon's career. <laughs> so didn't even show that. So people who, who didn't see like the full highlights of the game were thinking, what is Theo on about? Although to be fair, most of the people who saw all the game are probably thinking that anyway. Yes, yeah, common practice, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, Joe. I uh, last time we were on, I didn't give you enough of an opportunity to uh, have a go at Arsenal. So, how are you uh, feeling <laughs> <at> the second leg? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm more confident, actually. I, I, I do think because Arsenal are going to have to come out and play. Um, you know, they, they'll they obviously have to win. Um, I think it gives Liverpool a better opportunity. And as I've just mentioned before, I think at the moment Liverpool are struggling to break teams down because they've. That they're without Salah and Mane, but I think in a more open game, they stand a better chance. So, you know, I'm fairly confident. Um, as Dolly said, you know, I think it's funny, isn't it? The tribalism of football, how quickly it can come back to bite when you have, um, you know, it's, it's like it's like the whole, um, you know, a couple of years back when Liverpool were on the verge of winning the Premier League title, call it off, people are dying, we must stop this Premier League. It's, it's not worth playing, nobody wants to see it. And then the following season, everyone was fine with it because, um, Certain teams are doing quite well, so you know it, it ebbs and flows, doesn't it? And and you know they're funny. Some of the um, some of the Arsenal fans who you know on one, on one hand I had a mate messaging me going, "It's fishy, isn't it? The Liverpool have had this game called off." And two days later, I see them tweeting. I won't name names, but I see them tweeting someone saying that you know fully defending Arsenal for having it called off. So you know it is what it is. But that's why I think as a fan, you should never get too carried away uh, when these things happen because especially at the moment. Um, you know, it seems to be happening to every team. Dolly's spot on. They've made a rod for their own back, the Premier League. They should have kept it to COVID because now, you know, every team's going to have all their absences. You know, like Dolly's just said about Burnley, they sold a player, which, by the way, wasn't their fault because he had a release clause. But, you know, they've, they've had to let a player go. And that, again, you know, is, is hitting their numbers. So it, it's difficult, isn't it, at the moment? But, you know, I, I suppose that the Premier League have got no choice if they've called games off for the for other people, they're going to have to do it for Arsenal. But yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see who they've got back, whether they can play the game. Um, and then, um, yeah, I feel feel confident. You know, I think Liverpool will, will fancy their chances with Arsenal having to come at them. And, um, you know, I don't, whilst I think they're a more organised Arsenal, I still think, I still think that they're, they're capable of shooting themselves in the foot. So I think Liverpool will, will, will be confident going into this game. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, Arsenal, in fact, sold two players last week leading up to the uh, North London derby as well, which is, is interesting. But anyway, we'll move on from that. Theo, I'll come to you on, on Rafa Benitez before we pick our teams for the Arsenal games. That was obviously the other big story across the Premier League this weekend. Are you surprised that he lasted this long at, at Everton or, or what, what's your sort of feelings on it? 
it's a really weird situation. Like, I don't get why they'd have backed him for as long as they have and got rid of Marcel Brands and all these people and then thought, we're we'll going to go sell one of our very best players to Aston Villa after this big war of words with the manager and they've had this fallen out, fallen out only to then get rid of Benitez themselves a few days later. Like you normally, you think if you're that close to getting rid of the manager, you just hold on to the player a little bit longer. It's almost like they've used Benitez as a scapegoat because they've been uh, messing about with FFP and don't have the money. And they say, oh, yeah, not our fault. The manager wanted rid of him. But Everton just not a well-run club. It's been a mess with them for so many years now, going through manager after manager after manager. And it, it was hard for Rafa. And it's not just because he was ex-Liverpool. That made it harder in the fact that as soon as results went against him, it would be easier for fans to turn on him. But they've had injuries and they've just not been in a good place for a while now. I think Ancelotti managed to um, get the best out of his players because he was such an A-list name and they're in awe playing for Carlo Ancelotti. But they still weren't like pushing the heights of actually qualifying for Europe or anything. They were still bottling it when it mattered and having to settle for mid-table under him. And it's like, well, what can, what are their expectations? Like They've been out with their, without their star striker for most of the season so far. Of course, they were going to struggle. And it's not as though Benitez could go and achieve much more when he wasn't really given much to spend. I know they've brought in a couple of players this month with a bit of money, but we think Damari Gray and Andros Townsend was at 1.7 million for the two of them. It was always going to be hard for them. Evertonians, they didn't really want him anyway. The question is now, what direction do they turn in? I, I, there's almost that resign, resignation of accepting the failure now that this is where they're in, that no one can do better. And it was always doomed to fail and it's going to be the case for anyone, but a right manager could maybe turn it around but they're very much stuck in seeing a rock and a hard place because they don't have the funds, they don't have the players. And at the moment, they don't have a manager, but then you struggle to see which sort of manager go in and turn it all around and get them back to where they want to be. But then what is a realistic hope for them at the moment? I think Garth Brooks today has said, like, our Aston Villa should be competing for top four now because they've signed Coutinho and because they've got a draw against Manchester United. Well, that seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Aston Villa aren't a Champions League club. You've got three obvious contenders and then maybe one or two more. Like, we'll see West Ham up there at the moment. Like, we've seen Leicester City up there for the last couple of years. But it'll be a big surprise if one of those teams actually finished in the top four. You're fully expecting a Spurs or a United to sneak in towards the end of the season just because these are the names that always get in. So the way European football is, it would be a surprise if Everton were back in Europe anytime soon. They'd have to accept mid-table obscurity they were getting pulled towards a relegation battle. But then you look at the teams at the bottom, they're, they're pretty woeful as well. So they're just going to finish in that 10th to 15th region and just be stuck there for a few years until they can actually get it right. But with the uh, the owner in charge who's making these decisions, going appointing managers on a whim and then sacking them on a whim, uh, signing players without anyone at the club actually knowing or putting bids in, it's always going to be chaos. Sophia there has destroyed Everton, the entire back five, uh, bottom five of the Premier League. Mashiri and Garth Crooks. Well done. That's bit, what our website does quite regularly. Bit of Villa in there as well, just to be... Got Villa, Villa as well, yeah. Sorry, I forgot about Villa, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Indirectly Villa through Garth Crooks, yeah. So. To be fair though, Doyle, you, you know, you've been destroying Burnley recently, you've destroyed Tottenham throughout your I whole career. I haven't destroyed them at all, I've just so, said they've got to play some games, and yeah, Tottenham yeah. I'll accept. Tottenham I'll accept. According to the, like, the Premier League injury table, Burnley have only got two players out, so how many players have they actually got in their squad if they can't put a team together? Not, not very many. <laughs> well, yeah, they they've never had the biggest squad. Yeah, I yeah. just think Sean Dyche has just got a cold or something, he just doesn't really fancy He's had a cold for about 10 years now. <laughs> anyway, Benita, can yeah. I look at Benita? Anyway, yeah. Yeah, Everton. Feel, feel Benita, free to, to jump in on having, that. Having, having covered Everton for 18 years, until you know, the last couple of years, we've just done Liverpool exclusively. I mean, since Mashiri's taken over, the whole place has just gone. <laughs> they're, an ex they're a prime example of two things. Of one, when you get the wrong owner in, and also when you suddenly have loads of money to spend and you don't know what to do with it. And that's, that's essentially what's happened. And I would say it's been interesting with Everton fans. I do think some of them are... I mean, if imagine if Mashiri had been at FSG. Loads of Liverpool fans would be absolutely just like pummeling away at them, wouldn't they? Right. But Mashiri seems to escape quite a lot of the criticism. And obviously, I think part of the reason for that is because there's this you know big thing of the stadium that's happening at Bramley Moor being developed 
And I think the fans don't want to be too hard on the owner in case he goes, right, well, I'm not going to see the stadium through. And that's that, because that's one thing that can eventually, I know Theo was saying, what can Everton do? I think that will elevate Everton back up to a certain level, just purely on the basis of the, you know, the infrastructure that they've got, which is going to be very important for them and attracting players as well. But they just have to stay in the Premier League for, for, for a start. I mean, I don't think they'll go down. There's so many poor teams at the bottom. I don't think there's ever been any chance of Everton going down. But speaking to Evertonians, they obviously don't think of it that way. They look at how many games they've won over the past 13, 14 games. It won, I think, in 13. Look at the fact they went 2-0 down against Norwich and didn't, even though they scored, they didn't really look like they were going to get a way back into the game. They look at the, the fact that when they do get a good manager like Ancelotti, he leaves after a short while. Although, to be fair, Real Madrid did come in for him, so you can't blame him too much for that. And then when they get other managers in, Mashiri just appoints them. And as Theo said, just gets rid of them without even... I know we turned this into a Liverpool... This must be a Liverpool podcast, but we'll get into the point of Benitez where I just don't know why on earth he took the job. In terms of... In fact, no, I'll rephrase that. I don't know why Everton offered him the job. Because I can understand why he took the job because he could work from home like everybody else does these days. Um, and he's back in the Premier League and he's at a big club that he knows. And you know what Benitez is like? He's like, I'll take on this challenge. You'd think partly there's only me who could do this. And funny enough, nobody could do it. There's literally nobody could, no former Liverpool manager could have gone in and taken over at Everton. I think he was, he was a bit daft in that sense to accept it, but Everton were completely stupid to offer him. And I think if they go backwards to try and go forwards in terms of appointing Martinez or, or even, you know, even Moyes, even Moyes. What are you laughing at, Joe? Even Moyes, I just think it's, well, whereas Moyes was obviously brilliant at Everton, I just think it would be a terrible move for them. And it wouldn't be a great move for him either. But for Liverpool fans, they must be looking on, just going, what on earth is going on over there? What's going on? I mean, because if you want a club that's badly run for all of FSG's criticisms and the fact that they do get things wrong, and we've seen them, and when they tend to get things wrong, they're quite big. And then they normally turn around and say, whoops, sorry, and change their minds, such as the Super League and the furlough thing and all of that kind of stuff. But Everton is just like, what on earth is going on there? They are. They won't go down, but they're in a bit of a mess. Basically, just <laughs> echoed everything I said, and then you had a go at me for two footing them all for. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's different because you're you're renowned for it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still to be fair, I think Villa anyway. I think the, the... oh yeah, and Aston Villa. <laughs> I'm not saying that though. <laughs> to be fair, the the relevancy to Liverpool is, I think, that the two ownerships are so they couldn't be more different, could they? And, and I think the reason why Mashiri and, and I think he escapes a ridiculous amount of criticism from Everton fans, considering you know his approach for the last. Six years was it? Six years since he, he took over. It's just been um, <laughs> just utterly bizarre. Um, you know the, the thought of them replacing Rafa Benitez with, with Roberto Martinez, who was the first man he sacked. I like to think that they might start the cycle all over again and then go for Kuman after Martinez, and you know and just and just go again. But the, you know, I think the reason the Everton fans give him sort of an easier ride is because he's ambitious, isn't he? And, and you know, football fans, I think, are blinded by ambition, even if it's, you know, the, the wacky ambition that, that Mashiri employs. And, you know, Liverpool fans look at FSG and say they're not ambitious, they don't spend money on players, um, and and they don't, you know, they don't go out and improve the play, playing squad all the time. But I think when you... And look, you know, I understand Liverpool fans are saying you want, you want the happy medium, but when you look at the other end of the spectrum, you've got someone like Mashiri who has proven he's willing to spend money but spent it so badly that they're in trouble with FFP, who has, you know, who's been ambitious in the in the managers that he's gone out to try and employ, like Carlo Ancelotti. I mean, Kuhn to an extent was ambitious for Everton at the time, like Rafa Benitez, but they do not suit the club. They do not suit the, you know, they do not sit well with the fan base. They don't suit the playing staff. They don't suit the, the director of football. He he went. He's gone now and got two directors of football. One. From Leicester, who had just won the league, and the other, the other one from from Brands, who had a bright reputation in Holland. You know, he was ambitious in the sense that he went and recruited them, but didn't let them do their jobs. It, you know, it. I just think, to me, it underlines why FSG, for all their faults, and they do have faults, and they they could be more ambitious at times. They could take more risks, perhaps on transfers and spend more money. Have done such a really good job at Liverpool to to build the stand, to build another stand, to have the club. 
in a really healthy financial position and get them back competing for honors consistency don't uh, consistently don't forget where Liverpool were when they when they took charge you know and it did take a while but they turned Liverpool round and should FSG sell up tomorrow you know they would sell Liverpool in a very healthy position you would like to think if Klopp left tomorrow that you know that, that Liverpool would be in a healthy and healthy enough position that they could continue to, to prosper Everton you know it's just it just is the biggest mess I actually think they're the worst run club in the in the Premier League now. You know, Newcastle sort of kept them out the firing line for a while, but now you look at them and it's just crazy what's going on. So um yeah, and, and the Benitez thing, I mean, come on, like no one enjoyed that, did they? No one who has any, you know, who likes Benitez and you know likes him not just for what he did at Liverpool, but for being a, someone on Merseyside who was generous, who was well liked. Um, you know, anyone who's dealt with Benitez in, in any way speaks really highly of him. You know, nobody enjoyed that. It wasn't nice to see and I, I wish he'd never taken the job because, you know, the, the abuse he was getting towards the end was just really sat really badly. So, um, yeah, I'm glad it's all over now. I think, I think Richie Keyes can... enjoyed it. Well, yeah, of course he enjoyed it, but he's just, he's a disgrace to himself anyway, isn't he? So... I'm not saying anything. <laughs> it's one uh, compliment you can give FSG, that they got the right people in and they just leave them to do their jobs. Liverpool all pulling yeah. in the same direction, which wasn't really the case in their early days where you still had Damien Camoli there. You still had like Christian Perslow, who wasn't popular. Like with Everton, they've got so many people with their own different views. And then it's just Mysterio had them and goes a completely different direction. Like when you've got names being linked for the manager's job, it's, oh, Bill Kenwright would like this person. Mysterio would like this person. So-and-so on the board, when it was Brands back in the day, would like this person. It's just like, well, what direction are you going for here? Whereas Liverpool it has always been on the same page. It's certainly under Klopp, whether the right manager, they can get their own Klopp who can transform Everton like that because it's certainly what they need. But when you've got so many people with their own agendas saying these different messages, no wonder it's a confused mess because it's a confused mess at the top. It's going to be a confused mess all the way through. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Absolutely. A complete mess, a complete contrast to Liverpool. But we will get back now just before we finish to pick our teams for the Arsenal game. Doherty, back into to action for, for the Reds on Thursday. We'd assume that it will be Alisson in goal as it was for the first leg of the semi-final. But do you want to talk us through your back four? And before you do, in fact, I should caveat this by saying, don't come at us in the YouTube comments. We're recording this on Monday. And if players are ruled out between Monday and Thursday, that's not our fault. The people sure that. People do, yes, people do. Uh, just did they come at you? Did they before. just come at you? No, no, if, no if it's not, okay, not if it's just you. No, if no. it's any of us, then there's that's totally out of order. Yeah. Or yeah. any and all of us, anyone they can get their hands on. I actually, anyway. this is my team. I'd have Keller in goal. I think it was a bit un- unlucky that he didn't play against Arsenal in the first game, especially as did Alison touch it? Oh, yeah, made one save, didn't he, from Saka? Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd have Keller in goal. Uh, and as for, the rest of, as for the rest of the team, Simicast at left back, that of Canati, that of Van Dyke, and I'd, I'd start. I'd probably start with Trent, but on the basis that I probably know that Nico Williams is going to come on at some point. I'm going to keep it the same, actually, as as it was for Brentford, Joe. I was a little bit surprised that there wasn't one or two more changes for for Brentford, but I'm going to keep it the same for the second leg of the semi final. What are you going to do? Yeah, no, I, I'm going to start Allison. Um, you know. I disagree with Doyle. I think at some point, you know, in this competition, you have to start saying, well, we want to win it. So you, you play. And this isn't a knock on Keller, you know, because I, I think very highly of him. But, you know, I, I think now, you know, you go with your, your full your full team because let's face it, if they get to the final, would you play Keller again there? You know, I, I certainly wouldn't. So, Alison, yeah. Yeah, we, we would, Joe. Everybody else here would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, I, I, Matt wouldn't. He's just said he, he keeps saying to Well, so. that's why uh, Matt but... gets all those pointed YouTube comments. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that's why I would play Alisson in this one, because then it takes the conversation away if Liverpool get yeah. to the final. It's then, well, Alisson played the semi, so obviously he's going to play the final. But Klopp's already <laughs> left the conversation open because he said when he was starting Alisson in the first place that Keller would probably start a final. Yeah, true. Yeah. To me, to me, that that's just madness because you've got to. I, I mean, that isn't. A, it's not a criticism of Keller, who I think is a really good goalkeeper. 
It's a criticism you know, of the, of the football, manager, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's football could <laughs> exist to win trophies. And I, I'm sorry, but the League Cup isn't just some little trophy that you can just lash around and not worry about. Yes, it's, it is, Joe. It's, yes, it's it is, Joe. <laughs> and, and, and if you're in the YouTube comments, I don't care. Come at me. Come at me because it is. Um, Joe Rimmer 88. Yeah, yeah. 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 At Joe Rimmer 88 on, on Twitter. Yeah. I've just I've mean, been Twitter notifications long ago, so you won't even get to me. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I play Alison, I play Trent. In fact, I was just gonna, the same back four as um, as Dolly. <laughs> so, yeah, but, uh, after all that, yeah, yeah, after all that. <laughs> so you play Canati and Simicas, yeah. Yeah, do you know what? Yeah. I, was, I was thinking Canati because I think if Liverpool are going to push up and get out Arsenal, the, the pace I quite like the pace of Canati, and um, and yeah, you know, Simicas, I think is at a level now where. I'm quite happy for him to rotate with Robertson. I, I think he's, I think he's proven that he can do that and play in the big game. So yeah, I, I would play both of them. Theo, we know you're going to go Kelleher in goal, but what's your back for? Yeah, I've said it on pods before. I think it was harsh that Kelleher was dropped for the first leg, and I understand why Allison got the game because he needed game after getting COVID. But when you've got a keeper as good as Kelleher as the number two, and yeah, expecting him to stay and be number two. And he, if he's your cup competition goalkeeper, he needs to play in the cup competitions. You need to give him sure. that reward. <laughs> I wrote this and you've written this before. You said they've gone out this dilemma at some point where he wants yeah, to go yeah. on. This yeah. is what they need to do to keep him. They have to play him in the League Cup and the FA Cup. And Klopp pretty much said as much, I think, last week. He said that, yeah, it was harsh that we dropped him or that we're probably going to drop him. But it is his competition. So I'd expect Keller to come back in. Uh, I think we've been saying for a few weeks now we expect Simicast to come in and he just hasn't. Robertson just kept the place. But at some point, Simicast is going to be rotated for him in a game. And it's which one do you prioritise? The League Cup semi-final second leg or Palace away? Um, maybe they'll just try and play through because is it the two-week break after Palace where they can rest the legs for the European players a little bit more? So maybe they'll keep faith in Robertson. need to put in a great cross for um, Oxlade-Chamberlain's goal at the weekend. Um yeah, Canate makes sense because Matip is one player you can't just keep playing every week. He will get injured again at some point, so there needs to be that protect- protection. And I'm just going to cut it short and say I agree with these two. Uh, Trent at right back, Van Dijk at the other centre-back. A bit harsh on Nico Williams because he has done well in this tournament, but Trent's so much better than him. No, slant on him. Trent is just the best in his position and you want your best players playing in this sort of game in the key positions if you're going to have a realistic chance of getting to Wembley. Staying with you, Theo, I mean, Joe Gomez at some point is going to have to play a game, but when is that going to be, do you think? FA Cup against Cardiff. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's still it's still a little while away, isn't it? And I mean, a good performance against Cardiff is hardly going to put him in regularly oh, for the rest he, of the now, season. Now but... Matt's caught, caught he's absolutely slaughtering Cardiff now. <laughs> well, well, anyway, we'll slaughter Cardiff in a few weeks' time. We'll save that content for later. On <laughs> I'm not going to be on that podcast, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, let's move on quickly. Uh, Doily, your midfield. Uh, midfield, well, Curtis Jones has got to play. Uh, Fabinho's got to play. I think Henderson. I think it's going to be those three. Yeah. Joe, same for you. Yeah, I mean, if Oxley Chamberlain hadn't have got injured in it, I think he's going to miss the Arsenal game at least, isn't he? By by the looks of things, then, then yeah, I would have been maybe tempted to put him in for Jones, but I think Jones has played well and, and probably deserves it. So yeah, yeah, go for that. Yeah, it's got to be those three, hasn't it, Theo? Yeah, the only other one you could maybe do is you have to play Morton as a number eight because you need Jones in the front three, depending on Oxley Chamberlain's injury. But that probably would be more likely to just go to the same front three that they had last week and disappointing draw. Those are your three options at the moment. I know Klopp said Elliot's getting close to a return to team training, but it's a bit too early. Even if he does join team training this week to give him a start, you'd have him maybe on the bench for a few games, see him the first time against Cardiff too soon for Elliot, even if he is getting closer. In terms of the front three, Donny, I'm going to go with the same three that it was last week, but I don't want to see Diogo Jota on the right-hand side again. I'm going to switch him and Minamino over. Which three are you going to go for, though? I think it'd have to be those three, but there's two things here. One, Origi's meant to have been looking quite good in training, wasn't he, last week? So how close is he to making a comeback? He could be on the bench, so he could be somebody that they could use a bit later on, because they can make five subs in this competition. The second one is, do they go 4-2-3-1, which might make it a bit easier. You put Firmino in behind Minamino the other way around. Then you've got Jones on the left or on the right and Jotter on the left. I mean, I don't know. That doesn't sound quite so good, but 
I think it's going to have to be the front three, Minamino, Jota and um, and Firmino. And in terms of where they play, so you mean, Jota's never been this quite as good when he's been on the right in the few games he's played. But the Minamino was, while he did that miss, which, by the way, was it a foul or not? That miss that Minamino did at the end of the Arsenal game. I think it, it was a foul, To everybody, it? In the, to us in the stadium where we were, I didn't even mention it because it looked like the referee given a foul already. I, I thought he had, but yeah. everyone kept on talking about it afterwards as if they'd missed yeah. a, a big chance. But yeah, I, 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 I didn't realise that, to be honest. I did not realise that. That's why we never mentioned it. It's because we just thought, oh, it didn't count anyway. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I'd, I'd be tempted to do what you've said, Matt, and play them on the other wings. Yeah. Joe, who are you going to go with? Yeah, similar, similar feelings, really. I'm not, I said before, the Arsenal game, the, the first game, that I, I was worried about the three of them, because I, I feel like they're all quite similar in terms of the way that they, they line up and the way that they play. So, you know, again, if Origi had been fit, I'd be tempted to put him in. Um, you know, that's, I'm almost tempted, be almost tempted to put Kay Gordon in. If he'd played a bit more football, I'd be tempted to put him in just to give Liverpool a completely different option. Um, but I suppose, I suppose a slightly different combination of those three. So, yeah, maybe a, a change, putting... Putting Jota through the well, what did you say? You can't really put Jota. Jota left. Jota, Jota right. Jota Jota left. Middle, minimum yeah, right. Yeah, because Firmino's got to stay through the middle, hasn't it? Yeah, so I, I think I'd probably go along with that. Um, albeit like like Doherty, I think if Origi is fit, then you'd certainly have him eyeing a substitute appearance as Kay Gordon as well. Um, I would think just give Liverpool something a little bit different. Yeah, Theo, you in agreement? Yeah, I think you've got to be like. You're hoping that yeah, Irigi fit enough to start or Oxlade-Chamberlain's injury is not as bad as it looks and he could feature and that they're maybe just holding Irigi back for this one. But it does look like it's going to have to be the three that started against Arsenal last week. Um, what's interesting is the positioning they all took when the substitutions were being made against Brentford. Because I think when Minamino came on, Jota did go to the right. Now, whether that was because oh they prefer Minimino on the left or because they knew they are going to bring on Gordon a few minutes later so he's close to the touchline and then Gordon can just go there, I don't know. But it does seem like they're just going to do what they did against Arsenal last week. Uh, I don't know. We, we haven't really seen Minamino on the right. It always seems to prefer to put Jota there. Um, but it's those three. And, but then Liverpool are quite fluid in how they all line up. Anyway, they go all over the pitch. Um, as long as they do better than they did last week and they actually have a shot on target between them, it's an improvement. So hopefully it can go well and whichever way they line up. But those are pretty much the only three they've got available at the moment with uh, Oxley chamberlain going off at the weekend. Yeah, not exactly. Loads of options, is there? But we will uh, make our score predictions. I'm going to go 1-1 one, one, and then Alisson, who is in goal, is going to be the uh, the hero in the penalty shootout. Doherty? Liverpool win 2-1. Joe? Liverpool win 2-1. Theo? Penalties. Keller is the hero in the shootout again. <laughs> well, either way, Liverpool get through for all of us. So that will be certainly a big positive. But that brings about uh, brings about the end of the podcast, I should say. Absolutely loads of content coming your way before the game on Thursday. Far too much for me to mention now. But keep an eye out for the Academy show and one or two other bits that we've not had for a little while returning to your screen. So do go and check those out as and when they come through. But for now, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.